James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that ye may be healed. And here it is. This is our theme scripture. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so we're in part three of effectual, fervent prayer or effective, passionate prayer. Effectual, fervent prayer. I want to read this other scripture and then we'll pray and, and jump into this morning's lesson. Uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting. Everyone say fasting and with weeping, with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, this is an internal work that I want to do. It's not about how you appear to people. It's not that you appear to be fasting or you appear righteous or holy or committed. It's something inside. Turn unto the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great kindness. He repenteth him of the evil. In other words, God rescinds things that were going to happen. That's what repentance means when it applies to God. He rescinds what was going to happen, and he pours out a blessing instead of what was going to happen, and that's what prayer does for us. Who knoweth if he will return and repent? There it is again. He'll See, Joel, they've had a plague. They've had plagues that devastated the land. Who knows if we'll pray and fast and call on God if God won't just rescind that plague and turn it back and pour out a blessing, leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Notice this. Blow the trumpet in Zion, public call. Sanctify a fast, public fast. Call a solemn assembly, public prayer. You see, there are times, as Pastor Jack already said this morning, when we pray individually, privately, collectively, maybe even secretly. But there are times when the Holy Ghost speaks to the body of Christ and says, call a fast, call a prayer meeting, call a time of commitment. And when the people of God actually cooperate with that and chime in with that, it's incredible what God does. This is the chapter, by the way. When they did this, when they prayed and when they fasted, when they called a corporate time of prayer and fasting, this is the chapter where verse 28 resides. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. If you want an outpouring of God's spirit, if you want a move of God's spirit, if you want God to intervene in your human history, your little segment of planet earth, then what you need to do is go to prayer and fasting. And so for the last couple of weeks, first of all, we talked about Jubilee prayer because this is our year of Jubilee. And Jubilee prayer is simply a corporate call to prayer and fasting. As sure as we call up, Jesus had 12 disciples and one of them was a Judas. Um, two of them, they were egomaniacs. They were wanting the highest place in the kingdom. Uh, some of them wanted to call down fire on villages that they visited and not a real friendly bunch. Um, they all didn't get it when he talked about bread, you know. He was talking about this great sermon, I'm the bread of life, and they're saying like, oh, oh we forgot to bring bread, like he's mad. Uh, they just didn't get it. They didn't have too many clues, and that was Jesus' band of disciples that started this whole thing. Uh, you know what? When, when you call corporate anything, there's always going to be somebody that gets in a mood and decides they're not going to do that. Uh, if that's your friend, uh, you know what? Just pat him on the head and... Because they need that. It will make them mad. Uh, pat them on the head. Let them go off in their mood. And let them go off and do their little thing. And, and you join in with the body of Christ. Because there's something that happens when we do things 
corporately, a corporate call to prayer and fasting. That was week one, Jubilee prayer. Pastor didn't get to preach even a third of that message because prayer took over in this place. It was awesome. Part two last week um, was occupying prayer. Pastor got to preach about half that message before prayer took over last week. Occupying prayer, occupy till I come, Jesus said. You don't pray just these kind of mediocre, casual, little sleepy prayers, you know, if it be your will, God. No, the, the Bible instruction, which we'll talk about a little further today, is come, kingdom of God, be done, will of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God said, concerning the work of my hands, and he happened to create everything. So concerning everything, command ye me, God said. Tell me what you want, because if you're full in of my spirit and you're praying, I'm praying through you anyway. Now today I want to put two words together that don't often go together, and they should go together. Because to many people in the 21st century, prayer is a random act. They pray when they feel like praying. If they get in a service and a spirit of prayer takes over, they pray. If they come to a service and the preacher says, we're all going to come to the altar, and they come to the altar and everybody's praying, they pray. Or if a tragedy happens, they pray. Or if somebody hurts them, they pray. Or if there's imminent danger or some situation where they're very puzzled about or they're concerned about or they're worried about somebody or something or the future, they will pray. But prayer to them is totally a random act of kindness. That's all it is. That's not what prayer was meant to be. Prayer is meant to be combined with this word from today, disciplined prayer. Everybody say disciplined. Now, you parents, you like that word, but only for your kids. You don't like it for yourself. Nobody likes the word disciplined, but disciplined and prayer should go together. Prayer shouldn't just be random it is not an accident that the followers of Jesus are called disciples, which comes from the same root word as the word discipline. A discipline, it's in your handout, a discipline is, quote, a training regime or a regimen that has cumulative benefits over time. That could be dieting, that could be exercise, that could be reading, that could be study, that could be any discipline. It's a training regimen, and if you do it faithfully and consistently over time, not instantly, but over time, it has cumulative benefits. Now, basically, what we want to arrive at today is this, that this will not happen in a day, but it will happen if we do it daily. That's the key. It will not happen in a day. You can't have the prayer meeting to end all prayer meetings, the mother of all worship services, and then you're done. We got enough worship to take us right through to the rapture. doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen in a day, but it will happen if you do it daily. Prayer is a discipline. So I want to look today for a few minutes at, at the Bible's most familiar passage about prayer, and I want to back up a chapter and catch a couple of verses. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up into a mountain. When he was set, his disciples came unto him. The message paraphrase, uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of the scripture is brilliant here. Here's what it says. Let me read it. It's in your handout. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Watch this. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. That's brilliant. 
It's a brilliant paraphrase of what's going on in that verse because disciple means someone who's committed, someone who's disciplined, not a casual follower, not an observer, but someone who's committed. So disciples are the climbing companions of Jesus. They go higher and further with him than other people do. And in his Sermon on the Mount, you need to remember it. It would do you good to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and remember this on every verse. Write it over the top of the page. Jesus is not comparing sinners and Christians anywhere in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus talks about, you know, there's a broad way and a narrow way, when he talks about there's a, 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 a good tree and a bad tree, one that brings forth good fruit, one that brings forth bad fruit, when he talks about a house built on the rock and a house built on the sand, he's not comparing the life of sinners to the life of Christians. A lot of theologians mess that up. Jesus is talking, it says right here, he's talking to disciples. He's talking to committed followers and to committed followers in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. You need to read that, but you need to remember, Jesus is contrasting two kinds of Christians, two kinds of believers, two kinds of followers. There are people that say they follow Jesus, but their life is on a broad road. They do basically whatever they please. They go wherever they want. They do whatever they want to do. They act however they want to act, but they say they're a follower of Jesus. Jesus says about Christians, about disciples, about followers, that kind of follower, the broad road leads to eternal destruction. They don't end up saved. But he says there's another kind of Christian, that they walk the narrow way. They build their house on the rock. They are a tree that brings forth good fruit, and they find life everlasting. So he's con contrasting in Matthew 5, 6, 7, two kinds of Christians. And so these are the climbing companions. This is the opportunity we have. So this scripture, Matthew 5, 1, the first verse of the Sermon on the Mount, introduces this passage and tells us that Jesus expects more from disciples than he does from the crowd that says they're following him. As he climbs higher with his disciples, instead of now Jesus telling us what he wants to do for us. See, that's salvation. Jesus comes and says, you know, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy and my, my burden is light. He, he says, um, instead of me telling you what I'm going to do for you, when he starts to talk to disciples, now he says, here's what I want you to do for me. That's the difference between a follower that's brand new, a, a baby Christian, and a disciple that's following Jesus. See, a baby Christian, they're all here because... This is what Jesus did for me, and that's wonderful. But as you grow, this is what now I can do for Jesus. This is what he wants. So the Sermon on the Mount is all about becoming a climbing companion. Now, chapter 6. Chapter 6 is what introduces three key spiritual disciplines. I'm going to talk about one this morning. Matthew 6 and 1. Take heed that you do not your alms, good deeds, before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Again, on the screen, King James, let me read the message. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. And the message is actually very, very accurate in paraphrasing that verse because Jesus used the Greek word theome, and that is the original root of our English word theater. Jesus says the most common temptation in the area of spiritual disciplines the most common temptation, everybody in this building, you have this temptation, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, you have this temptation. It is the temptation to craft a public image that is vastly different than your private reality. When you come to church, everything's good. 
you got your hands raised, you got the hands clapping, you're singing the songs, you're smiling at everybody, shaking hands and saying wonderful religious things that we've said for years. And you've got the image covered. But the temptation, especially for people that have lived around church for a while, is to craft a public image that is vastly different than what your private reality really is. Spiritual disciplines, everyone say discipline. That always gets said like that. Discipline. Spiritual disciplines are important because they help us conquer three areas of our old nature and let our new nature, given by Christ, gain the victory. Three basic areas of spiritual struggle. 1 John 2.16. All that is in the world. Here they are. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the th three things in your old nature that battle you every single day you live for God. I don't care if you've lived for God for 85 years. They still battle you. And all of those things are not of the Father, but they are of the world. So we have to battle them. So Matthew 6, verse 1 begins to introduce these three areas of spiritual discipline that will combat these three things that you face. There's a direct parallel here. Uh, if, if you've got your Bible open, that's a good idea. In church, that's a great idea, actually. Uh, verse 2, verse 5, verse 16 of Matthew 6. Verse 2, verse 5, verse 16. Uh, verse 2 talks about uh, this whole idea of, of giving. And, and verse 5 talks about this whole idea of praying. And verse 16 talks about this whole idea of fasting. These are three areas where we are tempted to talk more than we actually walk. Prayer and giving and fasting. But when we play act in spiritual matters, we become hypocrites. Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. It means an actor wearing a mask, which was the custom in that day. And he says, you already have your reward. If you put on a little religious performance for everybody else, and they all think you're great, but you know secretly you're not really that, you've already received your reward, or you've already got your paycheck. God's not going to do anything more than the glory you got from everybody that thought you were so spiritual. Now, let me clarify one thing, and then I want to jump in. Jesus is not saying, everyone say, he is not saying, he is not saying that you always have to do your giving and your praying and your fasting in secret. People that don't read all of Scripture, they pick verses out, they misunderstand this totally. Jesus is telling us that when we give and when we pray and, and when we fast, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And so I can't let anybody know what I'm giving or when I'm giving, what I'm praying or when I'm praying, what I'm fasting about or, or when I'm going to be fasting. I can't let anybody know it's secret. Jesus is simply teaching that praying and giving and fasting that are only motivated by a desire to impress others will never be rewarded by God. He's talking about motive. He's not talking about where you fast or when you fast. He's not talking about if anybody knows that you gave or what you gave. He's not talking about that. He's saying that if you do this just for the motive of impressing other people, you will not be rewarded by God. Why? Because you've chosen to receive the public reward so you don't get the better private reward. The God who sees in secret, he'll reward you openly. Well, that just blows that theory all to pieces anyway. If God's going to reward you openly at the end of your prayer or your giving or your fasting, it's going to be a matter of open record anyway, so there's no need. He's not talking about keeping it all hush-hush and secret. He's talking about your motive. Motive is always important in spiritual things. Um, I've seen people over the years that, you know, when the church went to prayer corporately, they would never do that because, you know, oh, I, it's not, I don't want anybody to know that I'm fasting. 
and I don't think it's right for us all to know that each other's fasting and talk about fasting publicly. And typically, they'll go on a fast six months later and come dragging into church. Motive. Always motive. Now, let's stop meddling, Pastor Raymond, and let's jump into the Scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. This is in your handout. I'm going to read it from the message just because this paraphrase is more unfamiliar to us. The King James is on, on the screens. When you do something for someone else, verse 3, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them, says Jesus. Treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching. Playing to the crowds. They want everybody to know that they helped the poor. They want everybody to know that they had a, 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 a party or a dinner or gave a gift or gave a big offering. They play to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, here it is. Don't think about how it looks. Just do it. Man, I wish we could apply that scripture to worship. When you worship, don't think about how it looks. Just do it. Now, that didn't work. But anyway, this is good preaching. Do it quietly and unobtrusively. In other words, it's your motive. You're not doing it to be noticed. You're doing it because there's a need. That is the way your God who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. Would you write this down? Giving is an important spiritual discipline because it helps us conquer the lust of the eyes. That's one of our three enemies from 1 John 2. Giving helps conquer the lust of the eyes. Now, the lust of the eyes is something that everybody in here has got. See, the lust of the eyes is not just sexual. The lust of the eyes, lust is any out-of-control appetite. And the lust of the eyes has a theme song, a two-word theme song. It always says, I want. I want, I want, I want, I want. And the series that we're going to do in the midweek, starting a week from Wednesday, Balanced, um, it's going to talk some about that. And uh, it's going to be a great help to people, especially if you just received your credit card bill from Christmas and your heat bill for January. It's going to be a great help to you. Uh, the lust of the eyes gets us all in trouble. I want this. I want that. I want this. But when we give out of a pure heart, a motive, we put God's kingdom first, we conquer that thing in us that says, I want, I want, I want. Now, I'm not going to talk about that much today. We'll have time to talk about that in the midweeks. The next discipline is we're going to skip all the way down to verse 16. I want to do these out of sequence. Matthew 6, verse 16. Again, the message. When you practice, the King James says when you fast. Here's a good definition of fasting. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God. I don't know any better definition. Now, see, the King James says when you fast. But what does fasting mean? In the paraphrase, underline that in your notes if you've got a pen. Some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God. That's what a fast is. So it doesn't have to be food. Food is the most common one, maybe even the best one, but it doesn't have to be food. For you, a better fast might be denying yourself some time with media because you could deny that, have the discipline to put that away for a week and better concentrate on God. That's a fast. But when you do that, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Boy, there's a word from God for somebody. Act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair. This is just great, great advice. Brush your teeth. 
Wash your face. Man, if I could get that preached universally in Fredericton, that would be awesome. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. Now, let me say this, and then we'll move on. Fasting is an important spiritual discipline because it helps us conquer the lust of the flesh. So fasting is important because it conquers a second one of our three enemies that we all face from 1 John 2. The lust of the flesh always says, I need and usually it's said with a little bit of a whine. I need. And because of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, I want and I need, we get ourselves into one pile of trouble. It really is unbelievable. Our fast, Jesus said, is between us and God. It's not to impress anybody else with how spiritual we are. Because you're not denying your flesh at all when your flesh gets public credit for your fast. I'm denying myself. Thanks. Too much information. That's why corporate fasting is good, actually. That's why corporate praying is good, actually. Because everybody's doing it together at the same time. Nobody gets the credit or the glory. Somebody doesn't waltz in and say, I fasted for four days and somebody got the Holy Ghost. No, we all were fasting. We all were praying. We're all in this together. We're the body of Christ. Nobody gets the credit, but God gets all the glory. See, that's how it's supposed to work. And so finally, I want to come to this last one. And I know this, I know you got a handout, but if you'll just kind of get ready to, uh, to wrinkle it when you throw your fists in the air and open your hand and praise God in just a minute. So I know you got a handout, but you don't have to act like a bunch of insert in blank some religion that's very dead. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. You think God sits in a box seat? Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. And before he ever tells us how to pray, he tells us how not to pray. Very important. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Again, he's not saying that you always have to pray in a secluded place. He's talking about the closet of prayer, the King James. He's talking about your motive. Are you praying to be seen or are you praying because that's your habit of life? There are all kinds of places where Jesus prays collectively, prays publicly, lifts up his voice in prayer. In prayer excuse me. So it doesn't matter that he's in one passage. You can't take that and say, well, that's Jesus' pattern of prayer. Jesus always prayed secretly. Absolutely not. Read your Bible. And the church doesn't either. Read your Bible. So find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Here's the important thing. This is whether you're praying corporately, publicly, or privately. The focus will shift from you to God, and you'll begin to sense His grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, and they peddle techniques to get what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Then he begins what we call the Lord's Prayer. Notice two things, and then we'll jump in. We are taught how not to pray before we're taught how to pray. In other words, you need to have the right attitude in prayer first, and then you need to have the right approach in prayer. 
And Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer. The Lord, the Lord's Prayer is not really the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. They say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, pray like this. Now, that doesn't mean that we repeat the Lord's Prayer because it's not meant to be repeated. But on the other hand, Jesus is not condemning repeated requests. If you've prayed about the same thing a hundred times, a thousand times, keep praying. It's Jesus who told us in Matthew 7 and 8 to ask and seek and knock. In fact, it's asketh, seeketh, and knocketh in the King James. It continues on and on and on. And Jesus, if you read Matthew 27, several times in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the same night, in the same prayer, he prayed over and over again, let this cup pass from me. So repeated requests aren't wrong, but vain repetition is wrong. Jesus says in the King James, don't use vain repetition. Now, vain repetition doesn't mean to repeat a request. Vain repetition doesn't mean to repeat a phrase. Vain repetition means to speak without thinking. Our modern equivalent would be he just talked on and on and on like a broken record, for all of you that still remember what records are. Uh, just on and on and on. It just if, How many do remember what records are? This has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to know. Wow, you people are old. Records were those great big things that if you left them in the window of the car, they warped. And then they sounded really cool. And the little scratchy needle would go on. <laughs> and then the music would start. And if it had a really good speck of dust somewhere on it, it would skip and go back. Skip and go back. You remember this? Good. That's what Jesus says. Don't do that in prayer. You're just going along on some kind of recording. You're not thinking about what you're doing. You know, Jesus knows his name. So a prayer that just kind of goes, Jesus, 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 oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He already knows his name. But if you're praying for something, use the name of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be cute or rude or, or whatever. So the Lord's Prayer is not given to be repeated. It's not wrong to repeat it, but it's not given to be repeated. It's given, listen, to help us avoid meaningless repetition. What Jesus says is here's a prayer outline. Here are six topics that I want you every day to bathe in prayer. Just, just pray these six topics over and over again every day. Make it a routine. Make it organized. Make it a discipline every day. And what you're really doing in the Lord's Prayer is you are cleaning out your heart because your heart is the conduit for communication between you and God. Just like uh, regular exercise and activity could keep your physical heart healthy, this kind of praying every day, every day, consistent, not dramatic, just every day, consistent, disciplined prayer keeps your spiritual heart healthy. So after this manner, therefore pray ye. And now we're, we're in the Lord's Prayer. This is Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13, and we'll do this in the King James because it's the most powerful uh, translation and it's the most familiar. Um, Jesus says, when you go to prayer, do it this way. How many would take a few prayer suggestions from Jesus? Okay, the rest of you, you do your own thing. Uh, church is so funny. Sorry, I was thinking about what I'm going to tweet on Twitter. <clears throat> I should, have, never mind. I should ask how many don't know what Twitter is 
It's probably the same people who first raised their hand when I asked if you know what records are. But anyway, whatever, that's another subject for another day. Everyone say praise. Praise is not just something we do when we come to church, folks. Praise is something that we do every time we go to prayer. You need to work on crafting your words together. Sometimes we're prayer illiterates. We say the same things over and over again without thinking. When you come into the presence of God, the first thing you need to do is praise Him. The first thing you need to do when you lift up your voice to God, whether public or private, is you need to praise Him. And you need to craft some words together that mean something. Some of you guys never would have got married to that pretty little girl if you'd have talked to her like you talked to Jesus. You say the same thing every time you go to prayer. Oh, God, you're great. Oh, God, you're great. Oh, God, you're great. That would have really worked well. Beverly, you're great. Beverly, you're great. Beverly, you're great. Oh, Beverly, you're great. Beverly, you're great. Beverly, you're great. Yeah. I'd have been 85 years old and alone. When you come into the presence of God, praise Him. Think of something that He's done for you. Think of something that He is. Think of something that His name means. And give God praise. It's worth working on so that your prayer time is alive and vibrant. Prayer is not supposed to be a ritual, but prayer is supposed to be regular. You're supposed to do this every day. Don't wait from Sunday to Sunday to get in the presence of God and praise Him. You can praise Him in your car. You can praise Him laying in bed when you first wake up in the morning. You can praise Him silently. You can praise Him loud. You can praise Him soft. You can praise Him under your breath. You can praise Him in the break room. You can praise Him wherever you are. But you need to lift up your voice and give Him praise. You need to craft those words together and, and say something meaningful to God. I don't mean you need to be profound and you don't need to talk in King James English. Oh, Lordeth, we praiseth theeth, Godeth, thou art goodeth. You don't need to do that. You just need to talk like you, but you need to talk like you, giving praise to the one that changed your life. And so when you first come into the presence of God, Jesus said the first thing you need to do is, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, separate, apart from every other name, hallowed be thy name. That's the first step in prayer. I, I know we've been saying to you for the last two weeks, pray, 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 pray. Come on, pray, pray, pray. Well, here's how to pray. Jesus told us how to pray so you wouldn't have to just kind of come to church to follow the lead of somebody else. He actually gave you instructions to pray. He said, when you come into the presence of God, say, our Father who art in heaven, God, you're my Father by salvation. And God, you're in heaven, so I think you got it all in control. Now let me just worship your name for a minute. Jesus, your name is healing to me. Jesus, your name brought me salvation. Jesus, your name is the name I'm baptized in. Jesus, your name is greater than any other name. You are good and you're God. Somebody, you've got it in you to praise Him. You already know how to string words together. You can compliment and flatter and praise everybody and everything else. You need to turn some of that on to God. And when you come into the presence of God, don't do the same old, same old every single time. When you come into the presence of God, think of something good He's done for you. Think of something that He is to you and give Him thanks for it. Now, if you just lift up your hands, hand out or not, and if you'd use your voice for a minute and use the 
vocabulary that God gave you. I don't care if it came from 6th grade or 16th grade. It doesn't matter. But whatever vocabulary you've got, would you use it to lift up the name of Jesus? Jesus said, when you come to prayer, do it like this. Always, always enter into the presence of God by praise. Come on, church. I lift up your name, Jesus. There's no one even close to you. There's no name that even begins to match your name. I worship the name of Jesus. God, your name is a healing name. God, your word says he sent his word and healed them. Let the power of your name be resident in this sanctuary this morning. We worship your name. Everybody say praise. But he hold up your hand. We've done this before. Hopefully you remember. Your hand is praise. It represents praise. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, separate, apart from every other name, be your name. The next thing Jesus said to pray is this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth, right here, right now, my life, as it is in heaven. That's your job. That is what we talked about last week, occupying prayer. You are here to do a job if you're a Christian. Otherwise, God would have already taken you to heaven. The reason you're here, the only reason you're here is God still has a work for you to do. And so one of those works is every day you need to bathe this topic in prayer. God, today, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And you need to pray over everything in your life, not just present, but future. Everything that you're coming up against, everything that you're looking forward to, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is praying over our purpose. What is my purpose for today? God, I've got this meeting, and God, I've got to meet with these people, and God, I've got to make this decision, and God, uh, th this is coming against me, and I don't know how to deal with it. And so we pray, God, in this situation, in that situation, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And again, I, I don't want to go back to last week, but again, that is an imperative tense. That, that is not, oh, you know, God, your kingdom come if that's what you'd like, and, and your will be done if that's what you'd like. Well, no, God wants his will to be done, and God wants his kingdom to come, and he wants it to start with you every day. This will not happen in a day, but it will happen if we do this daily. Come, kingdom of God, be done, will of God. And that doesn't matter whether you're praying over your kids, grandkids, family, connections, friends, uh, work associates, some situation or trial, some sickness, or, or some opposition that you're facing. In this situation, God... Come, kingdom of God, be done, will of God. And everything that I purpose to do today, I want it to be your purpose worked out in me, God. So come, kingdom of God, and be done, will of God. Jesus said, you make sure you bathe that topic in prayer today. 
Somebody lift up your hand right now and over some situation that's in your life, I just want you to take 60 seconds and I want you to pray over that situation. You, you know what it is because it immediately came to your mind and you think, I can't pray about that in church, in public. Yes, you can. You're supposed to just keep praying until his kingdom comes and his will is done in that situation. So I need those that have been praying with us this week that you're already tapped into this to lift up your voice right now and help everybody else that this is kind of new information for them. Come, kingdom of God, in my situation. Be done, will of God, in my life. I need you to pray that way for about 45 more seconds over whatever situation that is that came immediately to your mind, whatever person that's far from God and you're so concerned about them. I want you to pray over them in their life. Come, kingdom of God, be done, will of God, over them, in them, through them, and for them. Come, kingdom of God, be done, will of God. I want your purpose to be worked out in my life and I want your purpose to be worked out in their life and I will not take no for an answer because that's my job in prayer every day. This is how Christians pray. Come kingdom of God. Be done will of God. There's a move of God's spirit in here right now in the last 10 seconds. If you'd lift up both hands and just give God some more praise and pray a little bit more that his kingdom would come. God's listening to you right now. Do you understand? When you pray, heaven listens. When you pray, heaven pays attention. You're an emissary of God's kingdom if you're filled with His Spirit. And you have a right to say, Come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God, right here, right now. You're supposed to pray this way every day over every situation. Come, kingdom of God, and be done, will of God. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody hold your hand up like this. Thumbs up. That's what you want every day. You want God's smile of approval on your life, on every decision, on every situation, on everything you're going to do. You want God's smile of approval. Next, Jesus said, you can pray this way. This is another topic. Every day you need to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, let's not be like the first century disciples that were so thick that every time Jesus said something about bread, they thought he was talking about somebody needed something to eat. Bread is what we need. It's a staple. It's sustenance. It's, it's our needs. And that's what Jesus is saying. Every day that you live, you need to pray for provision. You need to pray over what you need. Uh, isn't it ironic that we call everybody else in for what we need before we ever talk to God about it? And Jesus said, that's not how Christians act. Christians, when they pray every day, before you call five other people to get counsel and three other people to ask them to help, before you do that, it's not saying don't do that. He's saying before you do that, go to prayer and say to God every day, give me this day what I need, my daily bread, my needs, meet my needs is what you're praying. And, and so you have a right to pray that way because Jesus told you to pray that way. 
And Jesus already knows what you need before you ever asked him about it. So he's not offended by your request. Somebody else, you could tell them they might be offended by your request. They might not want to help with your request. But guess what? If it concerns you, it concerns your heavenly Father. That's why the prayer starts with our Father. God, you're my dad, and so you're kind of responsible for me because I'm your kid. So our Father, give me today what I need. And you're walking into God's house and opening the fridge and taking out what you need. And it's good. Somebody lift up your hands and tell God what you need today. I know this is a different service. That's fine. Before we get pray, 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 we need to know how to pray sometimes. Somebody lift up your hands and put your voice with it. Lift up your voice and say, God, this is what I need. God, my, my dad needs healing. God, my sister needs salvation. God, my kids, they need this. You, you have a right to pray that way. I'm not asking you to scream it out to God, but I am asking you to pray to God. God, this is what I need today. You're supposed to pray that way every day. Your needs are a topic. Jesus said, every day I want you to talk about your needs to me. Before we move on, and I'm, I'm almost done. Some of you that are, are clock watching. I'm almost finished, but, but here's the thing. When we start to get down to the specifics of prayer, sometimes we lose people. People disconnect. Pastor, I, I didn't come to church to learn anything. I came so you could holler and I could clap. I don't want to learn anything. Keep talking like this, like it, because when we have knowledge, we're responsible for it. Jesus told us, when you pray, do it like this. Now, there's, there's no greater authority on prayer than Jesus, I, in my opinion. You may have a different opinion. Obviously, some of you think you do. The first thing you do is praise. The second thing you do is you want God's purpose. You want his smile of approval. The, the next thing you do is say, God, today I, I, I need you to intervene in that situation. And I need. Everybody go like this. I need. That's not wrong when you're talking to God about it. I, I need this, God. And I don't know what I'm going to do if this doesn't happen, God. These are my needs. And so you point out your needs to God. Um, then Jesus said, this is really an important part of the prayer. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Um, we're going to talk about financial debt in a couple of weeks in, in the balance series. But this is a different kind of debt. This is much more serious. This is the debt of sin that we owe against God and against others. And so we have to ask for pardon. You need to talk to God about this every day. Please listen to pastor. Every day you need to talk to God about what you've done wrong against him and against others. And you need to say, God, forgive me for that. You need to keep your list of things that need to don't. Don't save a long, long list and I'll talk to God at Easter. No, don't do that. You can't afford to do that. You need to keep that list empty. Every time you do something, the, the, the reaction, I've had new Christians, new believers are so wonderful, and I have them come to me regularly and say, oh, pastor, I'm so upset. I've just messed up. I failed God. I, uh, uh. And it's so wonderful to see. Not that they're crying, but, but they usually are. And my question always is the same. How did you feel about this six months before you got saved? And they always look at you like, well, 
I, I didn't think about this before I get saved. It didn't bother me before I get saved. I lost my temper and I cussed God and the cat and everybody else. Well, how did you feel about that six months before you get saved? I didn't remember. How you're feeling now doesn't match up very well to how you felt then. Because back then you didn't even notice and now you're all grief stricken because you said a cuss word. Well, number one, it's good that you felt grief stricken because you said a cuss word. But number two, you've changed inside somewhere. The spirit of God's in you convicting you and he's saying, you need to talk to me right now and say, forgive me my debts. So, you, so you're good as long as you do that part of the prayer. Forgive us our debts. Everyone say pardon. Now, we get into trouble in our stupid, 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 idiotic culture. You know, you can't hold up a third finger anymore. So, so just reach out like this. And if you'll notice about your hand that your, your middle finger is your longest finger, unless you're deformed, had an accident at the sawmill or one of those things. I understand. We will pray for you. But for the rest of us, 99.9% .9 of us, the middle finger is our longest finger. And when you have stepped too far away from God, you need to come back. That's pardon. Pardon isn't penance. You don't need to do a bunch of stuff to get God to say, okay, well, now you've done enough good to outweigh the bad. That's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is about the motive of the heart. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Uh, and, and so that's why it's really important that you grow in God because you don't want to be, you know, your relationship. A relationship gets really tired really fast if it consists of, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't want that in your relationship, and you don't want that in your relationship with God. So you want to grow up so that the apologies and the need for forgiveness gets further and further and further apart. But boy, when it happens, I don't care if you're 80 years old and serve God for 65 years. When that happens, you need to be quick to say, God, forgive me my debts. Forgive me. Pardon. And then, as we forgive our debtors. Now, here's the hard part of the prayer. See, that, that verse is in two parts. Forgive us our debt. That's God pardoning us. As we forgive our debtors. Write down the word people. Um, there's an old little four-line poem that says, To live above with saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know. Well, that's another story. You need to pray over people because people will mess you up if you let them. They'll do it intentionally. They'll do it unintentionally. But you need to clear this out of your system every day because the Lord's prayer is about letting your heart be a conduit for God's presence and God's power in your life every single day. So you need to do this every day. God, forgive me my debts. That cleans my relationship between you and me. But as I forgive those that have trespassed against me, one of the versions says, I, I need to forgive those people too because... People can get in your heart. They're not even in the room, and they're in your heart. Heard a preacher say this week, <laughs> he said, you know, you're having a great time jumping up and down, Holy Ghost moving, dancing in the spirit. It's laying out all over the front, and somebody walks into church, and you have to leave because they came. You really got a touch from God. Boy, that was powerful. Powerful. You need to pray, God. Forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors, people. And then, lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. I wish the apostolic church would get serious about this part of the prayer. Music, you better come back. People are getting nervous. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the prayer of protection. This is the prayer where you put your spiritual armor on. This is the prayer where you pray against the devil and you bind the devil and you loose the power of God in your life. This is the prayer of protection. God, protect me today. Don't lead me into temptation. In other words, God, keep the devil at bay. Help me recognize his devices. Help me recognize when a temptation's coming so I can do what your word says about temptation and flee. Get out of there. Not stand there and try to pretend how strong I am. But God, I can get out of there. I can flee. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There was a time in the Pentecostal church when we talked a lot about deliverance and we knew what it was. There's a lot of ministries talking about deliverance today and they've made it into a carnival circus sideshow. That's not what deliverance is. Deliverance is not about shaking and quaking and falling down in public and making a spectacle out of God's presence and power. That's not what deliverance is. Deliverance is living a life that lets you walk above sin. Deliverance is living a life that lets you walk in an ungodly world full of temptations on every computer screen, every billboard, and every magazine, on every television program, and walk through that world and not be tainted by that world. And so you need to pray. God put Holy Ghost blinders on me today if necessary God protect my heart and my mind God put a watch over my mouth so I don't sin against you God protect me see that's the prayer that deals with protection everybody say praise raise your hand up like that everybody say praise praise everybody say purpose you want God's smile on everything that you're going to do today if he can't smile on it, come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God. You don't want to do it. Everybody say, provision. God, I need you to meet my needs today. Everybody say, pardon. God, I went too far. I stepped into sin. I went outside the provision of your word. And so, God, I need pardon. The ring finger. Everybody say, covenant. That's what the ring finger represents when we put a wedding band on there. So when you pray about that part of the prayer, you're praying about your relationships, people. Pardon says, God, forgive me my debts against you. But people, God, forgive those that have wronged me. And then protection. Um, you may need some help to do this, but you can try it yourself. Just put a little pressure there. Some of you aren't doing it nearly enough because I haven't heard anybody cry out in pain. Protection. You need protection when the devil tries to get your little pinky finger and bend it behind your back. I couldn't think of a good illustration. I'm sorry, but that's as good as I could do this morning. But I got a good one to end with. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus said, when you pray, do this every day. This will not happen in a day. You won't turn into super saint in a day. But if you'll do it daily, God can do an incredible work in your life because he'll keep your heart clear and, and clean and let him flow through it. And so he said, when you pray, start with praise. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
And when you get finished bathing these topics in prayer, I want you to come all the way around to topic one and do it again. Because there's six topics every day you need to bathe in prayer. So come right back around to praise for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And that is actually dominion praying. God, it's not my kingdom I'm trying to get provision for. It's not my kingdom I'm trying to protect. God, it's your kingdom. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And I want to say this at the end, and then we're going to pray. After Jesus concludes his prayer outline, and that's what this is. It's not a prayer to be repeated. It's an outline for praying every day. Praise God. Pray God's purpose in your life. Pray God's provision over your life. Pray God's pardon over your life. Pray about the people that are in your life. Pray about protection in your life. And then praise God one more time over the day. And if you'll do that every day, some of you, you're, you're so random in how you serve God. You're so random in how you pray. You're so random in how you worship. And there's nothing wrong with random when you're already doing this. Add the random to it. But it's wrong if your prayer life is random and your worship life is random. And how many times you ask God to forgive you, that's random. You need to do this every day, Jesus said. Lift up your hands, would you please? I need to finish and we're going to go, but I need you to lift up your hands and, and just interact with God right now for just a moment. God's in this room. God's listening to us today. God's hearing your prayer right now. So if you're just kind of making it all up, you know, God's listening to what you're saying right now. God would really like to hear somebody say, Jesus, I never had this information before, but I'm going to make this a matter of prayer every day. God, I, I'm making some commitments here while we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting, and, and I really haven't been very consistent, but God, that's good information. It's from you. So I'm going to make that part of my prayer life. Come on, church. Put your voice with your hands for a minute, would you? Jesus knew that every audience that this would ever be taught to, Jesus knew that every person that would ever read this, Jesus knew that every Christian that would ever grapple with this, that there would be one part of the prayer that was harder than every other part. And so he added a P.S. on the Lord's Prayer. It's the only postscript of the entire prayer. Verse 14 and verse 15. In the message it says, In prayer there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Guys, go back to verse 14. The King James says it very much stronger. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Next verse. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus nails that one down because he knows that every audience this would ever be taught to and every Christian that would ever grapple with this and every believer that would ever read this, there would be one part of that prayer that would be harder than every other part. It's not hard to praise God. It's not hard to ask God's purpose to come in our lives. It's not hard to ask God for what we need. It's not hard to ask God to forgive us. And it's not hard to ask God to protect us. But boy, it's hard sometimes to say, and God, I release 
that person. I'm not going to hold all of the stuff in my life that's wrong. I'm not going to blame anybody else anymore. God, I've been blaming everybody else for everything that's wrong, and it's their fault I'm like this, and it's their fault I have this problem, and it's their fault I'm in this situation. And God, I've been blaming people half my life. And God, when I bathe this topic in prayer every day, you know what it does? You know what this does every day? Is it pries loose the claws of the devil and the claws of the flesh and the claws of your own self-will over your own life and it lets you be free in God. The reason O'Neill can stand up here and sing his guts out, there's nothing like being free and he gets a half-hearted reaction from some people is because they're not free. They've still got baggage from 25 years ago in their life and they're all bound up and church is where we come so that I can get ministered to. They didn't talk to God this morning. They waited till they got here to talk to him. But there's some of us and there's going to be more of us and eventually most of us that we will get this. We will get this. We will get this. We're a good church on our way to becoming a great church. We're a 21st century church on our way to morphing into a first century apostolic church in the 21st century. And part of that is this prayer every day. This won't happen in a day. It wasn't designed to happen in a day. It will happen if you do it daily. If you do it every day. If you do it daily. They met daily in the temple. They did this daily. And God added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's the goal. That's the destination. Stand with me. The hardest part of this prayer is the part that meets the most resistance. It is the part where we stop blaming everybody else. They didn't do. They did do. The way I'm this way is because of so-and-so, and they did this to me. Fill in the blank. But if you pray the Lord's Prayer, God, prize the claws of that lie off your life. And you can stand and say, there's nothing like being free. Pull the screen up, guys. Lift up your hands right now in the presence of God. Somebody, you weren't expecting that as a PS, but that's Jesus' postscript to the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus knew that every time this was taught, that was going to be the difficult one. Not easy to ask God for stuff. Not easy to pray to God for forgiveness. Not, not, not too hard at all. But it's, it's very, very difficult. Very, very difficult to let somebody else loose over your life. You know who they are because they're in your mind right now. You can't get them out of your mind. As Pastor Raymond talks about forgiveness, they're the first person that's in your mind. That's the person you need to let go. That's the situation you need to let go of. Church, I need way more praying out loud than is happening right this moment in this service. I know this has been a teaching session. It was designed as a teaching session, but teaching's over. It's time to respond to the teaching of the Word of God. They're, they're, the person that's in your spirit, the person that's in your memory, the person that's in your mind, that's the person God just tagged and he said, you got to let them go. You got to let them out of the cage because you don't realize that every time you put them in the cage, you're in the cage with them. They're controlling your life and they're not even in your life anymore. You got to let them go. I'll forgive you of all your junk if you'll forgive all those people of all their junk that happened against you because my goal is not to let them off the hook. My goal is to let you off the hook. My goal isn't to set them free. They've got to ask me for that. My goal is to set you free. Come on, church. I need you to lift up your hands. I need somebody that's been praying with us this week to lead us out in prayer right now. 
Seto laba koya mandela shasa. Sotera boloto koya mandela boshe sa. Sebotia tolo koya batia shasa. God, forgive me my debts, but God, I've got some debts that I've been holding. Other people have done something, said something, acted against me, and God, I've been holding on to those debts. Well, Jesus, I just want you to know that today I let them go. Today I release it. Today I walk away from it. Come on, you know God's after you. You know what God's talking about. You say, Pastor Raymond, I, I, I can't. I can't. That's right. You can't in one day, but you can if you'll do it daily. You can pry that situation off your life. You can pry the claws of that person that's controlled you for years. You can pry their fingers off your life, and God can have control in your life. I need you, if you would, please, just help me out. I need you to grab somebody's hand next to yours and put that hand in the air with yours. And we're going to pray collectively as we end this service today. Come on. Yes, 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 yes. With that hand lifted with yours in the air. If that's somebody you know, you can pray for them. If it's somebody you don't know, you can pray for them. You don't need to know somebody's name and all the details to pray for them. Say, God bless my brother or my sister with your freedom, with your blessing, with your provision. Part of the Lord's prayer is praying one for another, praying for people. Jesus, free us from all of the junk that holds us bound from our past. Let us walk into the future free. Let us walk into the future free. We need you to forgive us, so God, we're going to forgive. God, we need you to bless us, so we're going to be a people that bless others. Just please keep praying. There are couples in here. You need to let that go. It'll bless your marriage if you let it go. If you'll stop talking about it, stop revisiting it, stop going back to it, draw a line in the sand today and leave it alone. Move forward into your future. Forgive, forgive. The same way God forgave you when you came to Him didn't keep any record of your wrongs that's what you need to do for your husband that's what you need to do for your wife that's what you need to do for your parents that's what you need to do for your kids forgive you want God to forgive you so forgive that's easy because people have been praying this week because people have been fasting this week 
there's a definite divine touchdown of the presence and the power of God at this moment in this service. God wants somebody that walked in here bound to walk out free. God wants somebody that walked in here all tied up with a past situation to walk out into that cold, crisp New Brunswick winter air and take a deep breath and say, I'm free from all the fear that I had about tomorrow. And I'm free from all the guilt I piled up from my past. I've traded all those chains and bondages and shackles for a great new glorious song. I am free. I'm free. somebody if you'd like some of you you need to hang tight at that part of the prayer for another five minutes but somebody else if you've already got past that part of the prayer you can help us finish up for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory god you're good god you're here thank you for meeting with us every time we call on your great name it's not about my kingdom. It's not about what I want. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Jesus. Shorabalabashasah.